Brady Rose Evans. I am from Snyder, Texas, and I am here with Matt and Andrew on the Ag Walkers. Ad, oh my goodness, Ag Watchers podcast. And it was going so, oh, wow. so, so smoothly. Yeah. That's see, that's so my normal. podcast. They edit, so let's be perfectly clear. No edits, no um, edits. and that's that's why we get the guests to do it because we usually make those kind of you know little blips, so it makes us look better. So there you go. Thanks for coming, and you're all the way from Texas. We're just having a chat off air. Um, but we'll just, uh, and it's part of the, the sheep, produ- what is it? Sheep Global Sheep Forum. Forum. Global Sheep Forum. Next uh, Generation. Next Generation. That's what it is. So this is our third installment now because we've te- had. Te- technically our second. Yeah, it was second one with the producer. We had one with uh, Ben Galloway from New Zealand. And yep. we had an introductory one with Nick and Bonnie. Yep. So that, that wasn't a real one because they aren't sheep farmers. No, that's true. They're, they're just hangers on. Yep. So we've got Brady Evans here now, who's a, a fair dinkum uh, American sheep farmer. Um, so, but we'll start off actually with our sixth sense, Brady, which is just a word association, um, and then we'll jump into it. Okay, let's see how bad this goes. <laughs> right, Matt, you go first. American sheep industry. Uh, hard. <laughs> <laughs> sheep in Texas. Sheep. Uh, drought. West Texas. Crocs footwear. Ew. <laughs> it, was going, it, what, was, it was going so well. What about um, black pudding? Do you know black pudding? I don't know what that is. No. Uh, okay. It's 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 like a it's like a sausage made out of sheep uh, out of out of pig's blood. Oh, okay. I know what you're talking about. I don't know what they call it. They have that over in Louisiana. Yeah, like a like I, a black sausage or something or a yeah. yeah. What do you think? I of think that? they call it blood pudding. Blood, blood pudding. pudding. That's it. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I've never had it, so I have uh, no comment. Louisiana. Okay. That's what I think about. <laughs> the Canadians. What about haggis made from sheep? I've never had that either. Missing out. That's a, that, that's a, that's a Scottish delicacy, Brady. Haggis from sheep. Um, what it, what it, it's like? Uh, the 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 pluck. I think they call it. The, like the sheep's like L- a, lungs, liver, all the inside all kind of organs. We call, it, we call that awful. Yeah, the awful. Yeah, I, I call I call it lovely. Not awful. <laughs> <laughs> but it's mixed in with a bit of spices, and they actually and oats. No, it's not, and they cook it inside the, the yeah in the sheep's stomach, isn't it? It's traditionally made in, inside the sheep's stomach. Obviously, it's been cleaned. Yeah. Um, it's a it's a it's a national dish. You'll have to try it as a sheep producer. Well, I will, I'll explain to y'all on the as we get into it why I don't know a lot of traditional lamb meat. But why don't you start off? Just give it give us a bit of rundown. Like we we, we know you're from Texas, and we we said you're a sheep producer. But um, why don't you give us a, a quick summary of actually you know who you are, what what the farm's all about, what you're running there. Um, you know, just just a quick you know, a little bit, just so people can get a feel for who you are. Okay, so um, our ranch is called Defade Livestock Company, and it was technically started in 2016. However, we have been in the sheep and goat industry since. To, uh, since 1997 is when we kind of got into it. My dad had sheep every now and then growing up. He showed sheep. But in 1997, we actually started buying boar goats, which came over here from um, Africa at the time. And um, 
that's kind of where we started. And in 2016, I was actually a county extension agent for the Texas A&M AgriLife Services. And I quit and moved home to work less, I guess. I don't know. (laughs) How did that work work out? (laughs) Let me go into the list of businesses that I know. (laughs) So in... We did that in 2016 and we started with our, started changing towards the Dorper sheep um, because before we had had wool sheep and predominantly our um, market showing animals here in Texas. So we had some crossbred stuff that we show in market shows here. And that's what we had raised before and getting shears got to the point where we couldn't get anything sheared. And these Dorpers were kind of on the rise at the time. So we moved to Dorper sheep at the time. And so they're, they're pretty much fully shedding now, the, the flock you've got now in terms of your sheep, yeah? The, we don't shear anything. Mm. Um, we have some that keep a really big wool cap, um, but it doesn't grow like wool does, even if they keep it all year long. Mm. Uh, some of them look awful. They're like matted. It's, it would probably, it would help them to be sheared at times, but at the same time, it would, give them an opportunity for the flies to get to them. Mm. And so we don't do it for that reason because. I, and, you're not, and you're not talking about much value in that wall really anyway, right? So no. it's not worth, yeah, it's not worth taking off. Yeah. So the only reason that, to take it off is for the benefit of the sheep. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So you mentioned that you, the family got into the gig in, in the nineties there. And I, I'm thinking back in the nineties, the American sheep population was probably about 10 million head. And it's now, I reckon about halved, I would think. Would it be about 5 million head these days around the country? So I honestly don't know if I trust any of those numbers because I know how we get those numbers here in Texas. I used to get them as an extension agent. And there's one thing that they do not take into consideration. There are thousands of backyard flocks. Mm. Yeah, that, well, that's a, yeah, that's the same in Australia. The, the the Bureau of Statistics that collect that data as well they they do a cutoff below a certain level of farm size, so they just don't count whether it's cattle or sheep or whatever. They don't count below a certain amount because it's not considered, I guess, commercial or or big enough to worry about. So you're saying the same scenario that you've got lots of little small flocks around the place as well. Yeah, and yeah. I would say that like here in our county, there's a good chance that if you take the number that we actually write down. There's twice as many mm. because of how many little flocks there are that don't get counted. Would it be fair to say, though, Brady, that that miscounting or that undercounting has been all the way through anyway? So what I'm kind of talking about, I guess, yeah. is that the, the trend, the trend in the American flock, even if you go back to you know, you know, early on, like if you go back to the post Second World War, you're talking they were saying it was 50 million head, and then. It's been a pretty steady trajectory downward. So would you say that the, the, the size of the industry is kind of has been under pressure for the last few decades? Yeah, it's definitely been under pressure. And, and we are we are in Texas and there is no doubt about it that our energy production is what causes some of it. There isn't the land to raise them on anymore. Um, we have droughts. We have all those problems as well. And then you have a lot of people that our land has just gotten so high that it's worth more to sell it off than keep the ranch. Mm. And so even if they do keep parts of it, they keep a smaller, a smaller area. So you just almost like a hobby, what they call a hobby. Well, you call them, we call them hobby farms here, but I think you guys call them dude ranches. Is that right? Uh, No, I, 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 uh, 
dude ranches are a completely different thing. That's very okay. commercialized. But it's like the, the dude ranch is kind of like you're not you're not really running the livestock commercially. You're kind of doing it almost like a, a, a part of your um, tourism to a degree, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. 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 Now, technically, I mean, I guess technically, I'm a hobby farmer compared to I. We have 300 head. Okay. Yeah. Um, but we do all of that on less than 100 acres. Oh, okay. Yeah. So that's so. that's a reasonable. Yeah, that's a reasonable size. But in saying that, though, um, for those that aren't aware, like if you look at the distribution of the American sheep flock, Texas is the well, it's the biggest state for cattle. Everyone knows that. But it's also the biggest state for for, for sheep and goats as well. Is that right? Yes, it is. Um, goats. Uh, Goats, I don't think, will ever get taken down. The sheep, we could get taken down from being the number one producer in sheep just because we've had some mainly drought problems is what's caused a lot of it. Yeah, so you guys are into, what, your third year now of, of, of significant drought that's impacting quite a lot of the, the Midwest of the country. And so you mentioned before that's been problematic. Did you say in West Texas has been the real bad spot? West Texas is always bad. It's, it's just – and it – it comes every year, it seems like, and then it starts raining, and then we want the rain to go away because we're not set up for rain, and we have just as many problems when it rains. So West Texas is one of those places that we can always complain about the weather. Today, the wind blew too much. Yesterday, it was too wet. So uh, that, just, that just sounds like any farmer anywhere in the world, I think. Right? Yep, yeah, I think so. <laughs> so, but that's our ranch. Um, we, uh, we started... Like I said, DeFay Livestock actually opened in 2016. And um, if for everybody that around the world, pe people in Texas find this fascinating. So they always ask us if DeFay is a made up word. And it's not, it's actually a Welch word. And it's not pronounced DeFay in Welch. It's pronounced more like divide. But we knew nobody would look at it and pronounce that correctly and it means sheep in welch so uh, right, we yeah. livestock company I, I should have i should have made the connection with the surname evans at the family backgrounds welsh then that's that's the yeah. there there explains the interest in sheep rather than in say cattle yeah and the the hundred acres we don't have enough land to run cattle either so that's part of it but we have we didn't have a long history family history and so I went to digging into family history, trying to find something that would make a story because we sell our lamb meat directly to customers. And so we wanted to be able to tell that story, but we didn't have a story. So the name kind of gives us something to talk about whenever people come up to us and ask us about things. So you guys, are you guys doing what they call in Australia a contract kill where you'll send your lambs off to a meat works or a processor? And then you'll have them back and you'll, you'll market them yourself as, as, as the labeled product. Yes. Um, much smaller scale and it's not, it's not contracted. Not what I sell. So I actually have a store that I sell them indirectly. Um, it's not a meat counter. It's not fresh meat. It's frozen meat. It stays in the freezer the whole time. But we work with a very small like mom and pop type shop. Another family that has the processing plant. They process for us okay. and then they give it back to us and then we get to market it. Ours here in America, well, here in Texas, we have two different um, processing inspectors. We have a state inspector and a federal inspector. 
And that's one of the few places that's federally inspected, which means that we can ship it to other states. If it's just Texas state inspected, I can't ship it across the state line. Oh, okay, you can't even send it across the state boundary if it's not if it hasn't been federally inspected. Yeah. They can oh, okay. drive down from Oklahoma, pick and it up, it. and drive it back. Yeah. But I can't put it in the mail and ship it to them. And currently, we're actually working on trying to get where we can ship our frozen meat. But I don't have that right now. But I do have some dried um snack sticks and dried sausage that are on my store website i was just looking at your website the lamb jalapeno snack sticks Mm -hmm. they look good so that's like that's like a jerky type product nearly is it yeah it's it's more like a slim jim like a like a in australia like a in like say like a don stick oh right but instead of being instead of being made out of pig it's made out of lamb yeah Yeah. Mm. and the people that make it for us they have one that's made out of pork they have that's actually their recipe and they just moved it over to to use our lamb would it would it be fair to say so you see in australia um we've had this kind of particularly over the last say two decades we've had this transition well i mean australia is still a heavily wool influenced nation of course um in terms of the flock and a lot of merinos but there has been this growth in what we call a prime lamb or a meat a meat breed and the focus has been towards that meat growth now um would it be fair to say because I, I guess traditionally america was similar that the meat of the of the sheep and lamb was the byproduct of the wool sector originally but is that now transitioning also that that the majority or, or that it's moving towards meat breeds as the as the primary reason rather than wool or is wool still fairly dominant in the states as well no it's it's moved yeah. predominantly to meat sheep which we have here in texas we we call those hair sheep dorpers are part of that Dorpers are the only ones that are shedding sheep. They have wool at times. The rest of them are Katahdin's and Royal Whites and St. Croix's, and they are hair sheep. So they, um, almost they, look, they almost look like goats, those ones, right? Yes. Yeah. The difference is, is the goat tails stick up and the sheep tails sticks down, and that's about it. <laughs> um, and that's the only way we can get people to tell the difference. Because there were, but, a, there, there were a, a Merino-type breed. That was there in the states as well, right? I think it was is it a Delaney Merino or something like that, or a, or a... we have Rambolets. Okay, so they yeah. We had quite a few Rambolets. Um, there, there were some Merinos. Um, they had some in New Mexico area and in Colorado. So they've they've kind of mixed. I don't know. Here in Texas, we our show industry, our market show industry really messes up the way that we think about them because we show what's called a fine wool. And it's just, it's rambolates usually. So when you say, so when you say fine wool, is it fine wool like you'd expect to see in Australia, the microns down, you know, 16, 17 micron, or is it? It has nothing to do with their wool in the show industry. (laughs) It's all about me. They just call them fine wools and they're generally the rambolate breed. Um, and then we've got something that only in Texas we have this. They have something similar in some other states, but they're generally crossed between a dorset and a black face of some kind. But we have what they call fine wool crosses. And that is a black face sheep, either a hamp or a sulfic, usually mm-hmm, mixed mm-hmm. with a rambolet sheep. And it causes these speckly face sheep. And Texas is the only one that shows them. I, I mean, other people think it's crazy, but that is very much a Texas thing. 
And you said before at the outset that you, you guys also do show your sheep as well, but that's, that's, is that just for kind of enjoyment or is that also because you're selling say breeding stock as well as the meat? I, I don't show, I don't show ours anymore. I grew up showing in the market uh, industry. Um, now we do have our dorpers. We sell to registered showers. So they sell, they show our sheep. We don't necessarily show them um, mainly because I don't have time between the store and the sheep and another business that I own and when I'm starting. And so I don't, I don't have time to show them too, but we yep. do have pure blood or pure bloods and full blood dorpers and white dorpers that go into the show industry. Right. And what's the story in, I presume in, because part of the reason I guess that, you know, one of, well, one of the reasons I'm imagining why the, the American sheep sector has been that, under that pressure of the flock reducing over time is you guys, I mean, it's a bit similar to Queensland in Australia where they had a wild dog problem. But when you look at the American kind of situation, you've got a lot more, I guess, predatory animals with coyote and mountain lions and bears in some parts, you know, further north, say. Um, is, that, is that one of the reasons why you've seen this decline in the sheep side because it's been so difficult to you know, with, with the predatory type nature of some of the animals you have there as well, more than what we have in Australia? Yeah, it's, I mean, it's definitely a problem. And in Texas, they'll tell you that's the number one problem. Um, is what, coyote or, or predatory? Coyotes. Like you've got wolves, I get wolves as well, right? Yeah, coyotes. We don't, have, we don't have very many wolves. They, yeah. they have reintroduced some wolves that cause some problems every now and then. Um, but we don't have. Here in Texas, honestly, coyote is our biggest problem. And so they're taking the, they're taking the young lamb, are they? Or you know, the problems with the young lamb, or do they attack sheep also? They take sheep generally. So when I was growing up, I did not have large numbers of sheep. We had like twenty because they were all show sheep. And so people would tell us that it it's the um, predators are they're just awful. We didn't have that. Our stayed in a little barn. We took care of them. Yeah. Now the way that we operate, um, we we live on a hundred. We have a hundred acres. We have 300 sheep. They lamb in the middle of our, our property. They're in the barn. We, unlike a lot of people in Texas, we have jugs pens, mixing pens. Everything happens under our feet. And then we've got three guard dogs that live in one pasture and one guard dog in the front pasture. And they keep the predator, the coyotes off of us. So, so they like a, they like a, no. one of those like a sheep like a, a sheep variety one like a marama style dog or or they're just a standard dog that knows how to guard sheep. Uh, ours are Pyrenees and Anatolia crosses. Ah, yeah, 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 yeah. Are, yeah. Are, so are, yeah, similar, are, similar to yeah, similar to those marimas. They're the same same kind of a concept. They're they're, they're a designated guard dog that's used to guarding flocks. Yes. So yeah, moving on to the the, the sort of the difficult stuff. What, what is the biggest challenge facing sheep farming in the USA? Oh, that's a hard one. And part of it depends on who you talk to. Uh, the number one thing that they say is Australian imports that is the biggest problem. We also can't, we can't process enough. I mean, we, we process the same amount no matter what the, the imports are. Our, our processing every, every week is the same. So... I, I don't know what the problem is, is if there's too much imports or if we can't process enough. And I'm thinking that maybe we can't process enough for some reason. And I don't understand that. And 
during the pandemic at the beginning, we lost one of our biggest processors in the country. Mm. It didn't affect our processing numbers. We process the same amount of sheep every week. Um, we have a new processing facility that, that's up here in Texas, actually. They're from Colorado, and they moved down here to open a, a plant. It's the same number of sheep every week. So our demand in America has gone up tremendously, especially since the pandemic. A little bit of that had to do with people that generally left America and went home for the holidays or during the summer or whatever. They couldn't do that in 2020. Um, mm. And even into 2021, they couldn't do that. So they were buying more here. And then you also have um, people that were home and they wanted to try something new. And so they bought lamb meat and tried to cook lamb meat and they actually liked it. And so you have an increase in the demand, but I don't know why we can't quite get enough processed for them. Um, personally, I am in a whole different market because we're in, we are in Texas and where I live, you can't just go buy lamb meat at the grocery store, even imports because you, you just can't get it. The grocery stores around us can get it for you, but it's going to take them two weeks to get it. Mm. It's part of the demand in t- because it's, you know, fairly high Hispanic community there in the South is, and they're, they're significant eaters of, 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 of kind of sheep meat uh, as well culturally. Is that part of the reason why the demand in Texas is pretty stable too, just because of that, that community? No, it's, it actually has nothing to do with that community. They eat goats a lot okay. more. Okay, yep. Um, and they don't want to spend the money that lamb meat costs. Even even imports, they don't want to they don't want to spend that money. So what has driven it predominantly, in, especially in the Dallas metropolitan area, there is a lot of the Middle Eastern oh. and Indian cultures that are there, and even the ones that aren't practicing a religious reason for eating lamb, they grew up eating lamb, um, and that influx has been a huge portion of why our demand is up is because of those cultures. Um, where I live, and I'll, I'll explain to you why I don't know a lot of these dishes. I grew up showing sheep, but I didn't eat sheep. In Texas, we eat beef. That's, <laughs> that's what we have. That's what we eat. Um, I remember the first time I had goat, and I thought there was some little girls that were going to cry because they showed them, and they didn't want to eat the, the goats. And even though they weren't theirs, they didn't eat them. So lamb was never something that was around me a lot. It wasn't that I wouldn't eat it. It's just that it wasn't something that. Yeah, it's uncommon. It's unfamiliar, which is one of the issues that, you know, you're saying before about the Australian imports into the country. Um, You know, we still know looking from a a market perspective from Australia that, um, you know, the American market's still full of a lot of growth opportunity the way we perceive it, both for the domestic producer like yourself, but also to that import market because, um, you know, when you look at the other meats that are eaten in, in America on a per capita basis, sheep meat is very, very, um, you know, it's, it's right down the bottom of those kind of top four meats, um, which, which means there's a lot of potential for growth, really. Um, it's a matter of getting, getting that um, story out there to the masses and having them more familiar with cooking it at home, like you said before, um, which is what we saw through COVID, that, that more people were, were starting to, you know, uh, explore a little bit, being stuck at home and, and wanting to try new things and, 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 and sheep meat was one of those that they tried. So that's part of this reason we've seen this growth. Like, like I know in the Middle Easterns, Indians eat a lot of goat and sheep. Uh, but, but Spanish, so Mexicans. Mexicans eat a lot of sheep and goat as well, do they not? They eat a lot more goat. 
than they do sheep. Um, and I don't, I would say that part of that is because the sheep that they have had, they didn't like. And a little bit of that has to do with the fact that they actually eat mutton and not lamb mm. and they don't yep. know the difference. Um, yep. And a lot of people, it's not just, it's not just them. I, I live in the Texas sheep industry and I have people in the Texas sheep industry that won't eat lamb because <laughs> I go to farmer's markets. We have a little community deal where they can come up and buy lamb meat from me. And I go set up there and sell and I would have lamb producers, sheep producers walk up and go, ugh, sheep. I'm like, thank you. That helps a lot. And that's been one of my biggest problems that I've seen is that they are bashing their own industry in a lot of cases. And I'll ask them, you know, when was the last time you had it? And their response generally is, is that one of those crews came up from Mexico. They were shearing sheep for them and their wife cooked an old mutton in a big crock pot and it probably wasn't very good i'll agree with you especially when you're not used to eating like that and so they don't like it because it's not and they don't cook their goats like that which i don't understand a lot of times they cook those goats in the ground and the goats are cooked differently they let it drain and the sheep for some reason they cook it in its fat and it doesn't always taste taste is good but i think a lot of it has to do with the fact that people don't know the difference in mutton and lamb mm. and they call it all the same what, what about and, the um what about just the sheer size of the the cut like if you think of something like those little what we call french cutlets in the lamb you know um the, the loin part with the bone sometimes it can be known as a, as a rack um you know it's a much smaller cut of meat that i feel it you know um what it, you know and when you can when you contrast it to the massive big steak you can get in, in, in particularly in Texas. Um, bigger, know, bigger is better in Texas. Yeah. So when you look at lamb on the plate, you know, there's, there's, there's probably a few lamb cuts that can compete in size with a decent cut of steak. Is, is that part of the, the thing as well? That they just, they I think a lot of it just, just as they haven't tried it. Um, honestly, so we have had to teach the people around us to eat our lamb. Like we had to trick them. We just make burgers. And go to events and say, here, try this. And then we tell them it's lamb afterwards. I'm like, what? No, it's not. Yes, you just cook it just like you cook your beef. And we have had to do that from 2016 through 2018. We spent every day doing that. That's actually how my store started. Um, I went to buying Texas made products and making my own seasonings simply to put with ground meat and give it away when they bought at the time we were selling whole carcasses to one customer and I just needed them to take it and try it because they wouldn't try it. They were scared to try it. It's like some magical unicorn that they so the, didn't so, so then would that, would that, as you described it there, would that be the biggest hurdle that you face really is just that perception and that lack of knowledge or, cause you mentioned as well that labor, you know, labor has been an issue for you guys as well. It sounds like is you know is like and, and certainly in a, in, from an Australian context, I think labour has been you know one of the biggest battles of recent times uh, for the sheep producers here or, and and getting access to shearers. Is that the same problem in America? It's all, it's all a problem, and that's what you, you asked me about. What's the number one problem? I think it's everything just combined so much. You can't get labour. Um, honestly, our entire operation is run by me and my dad, and that's all that's here. Um, we're currently lambing 200 ewes. We've got 
till the end of January to get done. And he takes care of most of it because it's Christmas time and I have a retail store. So that's where I'm at. And, um, that, that's why we moved to the hair sheep and the, the door bridges because we couldn't get shears. So it's just little things that keep stacking up like that, that make it hard for somebody to continue and to step back and say, you know, this is what's really going to work. Um, sometimes I think a lot of people, and we were, we were this way, is it worth the struggles to be in a certain breed? We want to be in the sheep industry. So how do we make the sheep industry work for us the best? And a hundred acres, 300 sheep, no wool was the best way to move forward. Um, and our, that, that hair sheep, and, and you see this happening a lot more with our wool, wool sheep industry as well. So the Indian and Middle Eastern cultures, they want a smaller animal. Uh, mm. They want a 65 yeah, pound carcass. Yep, yep. So we sell them significantly earlier than some of those other ones do. And so we don't have to feed them that long. They, they're born. We, we, our operation, we've gotten ours to where they are born. They nurse for eight weeks. We pull them off and they're generally gone before they're four months old. When you say you're feeding them, so you, you're also, is it right that you're actually feeding them a ration rather than having them graze? Is that, or you, or you do a bit of both? Uh, we, because of our operation and the amount of land we have, all of ours is hand fed. Now okay. we have quality number one grass hay. It's a Bermuda grass hay. We have alfalfa hay a lot of times uh, that sometimes we don't have that. We're having to stock up on those things. And then um, we actually have two rations. We have a ration that we use for our ewes. And then we have a ration that we use for our lambs. And personally, I I don't like the taste of grass-fed lamb, so I sell corn-fed lamb because that's what I want to eat. Okay. Um, the biggest portion of what we've seen, and this is why we do some of the things that we do, is we do make this the snack sticks, the dried snack sticks and the dried sausage. We also have a breakfast sausage, ground lamb, and um, smoked sausage links. And all of ours is made 100% out of lamb. To do that, we have to get them fatter than mm. industry standards, because if we didn't, they would have to add pork fat into yep. it. Yep. Yep. So and you're using lamb. Yeah, lamb. Yeah, you're using sheep, the sheep, the fat from the actual animal rather than yep. introducing other fat into it. Yep. Yeah. So we have to get ours just just a little bit fatter than what the industry would call standard. Um, so as I, here, you know, a two is a standard what they kind of want, and ours are probably closer to a three top of the three even into a four but that's where we have to get them so that especially that dried stuff mm. we can get by on some of our our ground meat and our frozen stuff but because they're putting that snack stick into a smoker and smoking it it has to have quite a bit of fat in it yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. that's an interesting one though when you said about feeding them corn fed like shit i i think like i've had corn fed chicken before and that actually is quite different to your standard chicken ration in terms of how it changes the the flavor and the look of the meat. So I presume with uh, sheep meat, it's the same. Would it make like a much more yellower fat to the to animal and a different taste to it? It makes a different taste. Actually, surprisingly, for some reason, I don't, I'm not a scientist. So um, 
grass-fed lamb has a yellower fat than than the corn, corn than the corn-fed. Okay, so it's a bit and like even, when even if you take corn and we have re- we have fed Milo before, yep, that puts a whole different taste in it as well. So even your grains can change the taste of it. So when you, when you say Milo, you mean sorghum? Yeah, it's yes. That's what we call it here. Yeah. We have we have a couple of different varieties, and Milo is a specific. Isn't there? Variety. That's a brand. That's a brand. Isn't Milo a brand name to one of those feeds as well? Is that M Y L O, or is that a different? No, you're, think, you're thinking of Milo in Australia. Yeah, well, no, I'm not talking about My, the drink. Milo is yeah. a malted drink for breakfast. Yeah, no, Milo is a is a species of of plant here. Right. Okay. Yeah. We're all learning something new. <laughs> but you're right in saying that. So when you said about the grass-fed lamb having the yellower fat, that's a bit like the grass-fed beef versus the grain-fed beef, whether it's whether it's kind of um, barley or or corn or um, sorghum or whatever. Um, yeah, I actually but, participated in a, a study that they were doing at the University of Colorado that was a taste testing. And they gave us like, I don't know, they had 30 different kinds of meat and it was different ages and raised differently. And some of it was mutton and some of it was ram. And you sat there and ate all these pieces of meat. And then you had to rank them. Is this one bad? Was this one good? And then they took that data and brought it back. And honestly, I've never seen anything from that. It was probably one of the worst ex- experiences of lamb meat I've ever had. Because I've had, I had to eat some that, oh, it was, it was bad. I couldn't do it again. So within, so just getting back to the American, uh, is it is pretty much the sheep and goat sector mostly combined, or do you have dedicated kind of just purely sheep breeders and and commercial farms and goat separate? So or, in Texas, sheep and goat is one word. It's, yep. it's been like that since the goat came here, honestly, um, and it's always been here. So, but but then you would have like so so would there be? I think is California the next most popular state, but for sheep meat uh, in terms of in terms of farms and then you know other parts of kind of the the, the central west like um, you know Colorado and those areas I was gonna um, say I don't know if Colorado might have more all a lot of our feed lots and things like that are all in Colorado right yep Texas, like Texas and Colorado now we have one of our biggest um, I guess our number one is that's what they always claim I don't I don't ever know if you should believe the people that are telling you that but um our number one producer processor their headquarters is in california but they also have a plant uh, yeah, yeah. The, in actual, other places the, as well. the livestock the livestock are in somewhere like colorado but yeah, yeah. but head, head yeah, their office feed lots, their feedlots are all in colorado and then they also had have a plant in colorado and they've got they've kind of got them scattered out so um they are based out of california but they're not predominantly in California, honestly, because like so, the so, feed lots are. It's always it's, all, it's always interesting, Andrew, when you have someone like Brady that was responsible for collecting some of the numbers, and and you're so skeptical about about some of these numbers. It makes you wonder, you know, how accurate any of the figures are. Andrew and I are analysts. So when we're not doing the podcast, our day job is to analyze agricultural markets and commodity markets, and so we rely heavily on data, and we sometimes will particularly say data out of China, we're always a bit suspicious about the, the quality of that data, but having someone coming yeah, cool. from, from your background, um, you know, and, and, you know, the USDA are, are one we use a lot in a lot of different commodities, but to, to hear someone like yourself say that, you know, it's a bit, 
Yeah. Have to take it with so a grain the of Texas, salt. The Texas number comes from the extension agent's office. We have an ag meeting. It's made up of somewhere between six and 10 producers from a, a county. And they sit in a room and they go, hey, Bob, how many sheep are in the county? And he's like, well, I got 5,000 and there's another thousand down the road. And so put 8,000 down. Mm. And that's how you get your number. And so I know how that number is, is collected here. And now looking back, because personally, we wouldn't have been, we wouldn't always be counted in that. Um, and they did the same thing. My dad has a background in cotton production. So he was the cotton guy. And they would say, how many acres were planted in cotton? He's like, I don't, I, I know how many my farmers have. I don't know how many of the other farmers. And you have people that don't even gin or um, process their cotton in the county. So he's like, I don't. I, and it's just a guesstimate. Mm. Two guys, two guys so sitting in the room going. So I think not, that sounds right. It's not like a formal statistical survey saying, and they kind of crunch the numbers and figure it out. I mean, look, there's there's questions around a lot of this. Is, is you know, you can't have a perfect system, I guess unless you're going out and counting every single sheep. Um, but it's interesting to hear that, that that's, you know, that's the experience that you've had as well there. <laughs> yeah, and then you've also got like our, our state association. I mean, they send out our dues every year and we put how many sheep we have, but not every person that has sheep and goats is part of the sheep and goat association. Yeah, yeah. So you need to be part of the association to, to get sent that form to, to respond. Yeah. So yeah. would there be, what's the estimate in terms of number of producers that are, that are sheep and or goat producers? Would it be 100,000 in the whole of the country or would that be about right? Or, or? Oh, honestly, I, I did not collect that data. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just go, going back to yeah, so, so you, you're, I guess we could call you a diversified business, yeah? You've got the farm and you've got the shop. Yes. What, is, what is the bigger challenge, the farm or dealing with customers? Oh, the customers. Yeah. And I'm actually, so, so we, when we branded, I have Defade Livestock. I opened Defade Emporium, which is my store. Um, my mother makes old fashioned candy is what I call it. It's like, um, brittles and peanut patties and things like that. Um, and hers is called Defade Candy Company. And then I have this grand idea that I'm going to expand the DeFade family. So in 2023, I am actually opening a mobile food truck and nice. I'm going to be making meat, making lamb meat and taking it out and selling it as if I didn't have enough to do. <laughs> so is this, is this, I guess, off farm enterprise? Uh, it, is that required because the farm can't just, you can't just work on the farm or is that just to, just to kind of um, diversify your risk a bit and, and have you doing different things because it's interesting or is it something you have to do to, to make it's it something viable? we have to do. Um, we've got two households, my parents and mine, and it's really hard for just the ranch to sustain all of it. Unless we're all going to live in one house and we're not going to do that. Mm. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just looking through the website of the Emporium. There's a lot of stuff I would pick up. Yes. There's a lot of stuff. Um, so the store started here in Texas. We have um, an amazing ag department, state ag department. And they have a program called Go Texan. 
and we're members and the store started as a go texan store so all of our food products except for maybe three or four things that we just couldn't find here in the state of texas are made here in texas looking at the uh jalapeno honey mustard mm -hmm. which i reckon would be pretty pretty good and I use a lot of that stuff. I've started, um, so my my food truck is called DeFade Kitchen. And about a year ago, I had people asking me all the time about, you know, how do you cook this? Well, I don't cook like that. So I couldn't explain it to them. So I made a TikTok simply so I could make videos and start showing them because I do it different every time. Mm -hmm. And so I started making videos so that I could show people and then it just kind of grew into this idea. I kind of already had the TikTok. So DeFade Kitchen is the, the traveling side of it as well. And so you'll be traveling around Texas? Uh, predominantly just my area. We, yeah. We're going to cater. I am going to do breakfast and lunch. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to do dinner stuff. And we, we are in a heavily energy-based area. We have a lot of oil production. We also have solar panels going up every day and wind turbines everywhere. And so I'm going to work with some of those places and go set up on their locations yeah. to feed their crews. Um, so then you just go, you go and do a circuit um, for a breakfast, lunch type circuit. We'll be in one place. Like mm -hmm. We'll be set up and they'll come to us. Okay, right. Yep. They'll follow us. They can follow us on social media. And we're going to use two different locations. We're going to use one that's actually on, on the ranch. There's a, a area that we're going to use for that. And then the other one will be parked in front of the store as well. Mm. And so that's where we're starting for breakfast is in front of the store and on the ranch because we have access to both of those places. And then we're going to start working with um, different companies to being on their locations at lunch. Okay. That makes sense. Sounds bloody fantastic. I don't know why we never have food trucks outside our work, Matt. <laughs> yeah, I'm not, yeah. I'm ours, ours is very, like, our, the guys here, they're, you know, probably 40 miles, 30 miles from anything. And so they have to stop at a convenience store in the morning and, or pack their own lunch, and they get tired of packing their own lunch. Yeah. Their wives so and of, girlfriends get tired of packing their lunch. A bit, bit of a captured market there, Brady. So then they've got no option but to try sheep milk. Yeah, pretty much. We will have other things, but it's amazing how many of those guys will try it when you run out of whatever else. Yeah. And so we're trying to stay, like we're trying to make things that are, are different. Um, I make, a, and I make them for myself and I put them in my refrigerator. I take a biscuit and put our breakfast sausage and eggs and um, cheese inside of it. And I bake them and I put them in the refrigerator. And then when I wake up in the morning, I throw one or two in the oven while I'm getting ready and breakfast is ready and I don't have to cook it. So when you might need to add for the Australian audience that a biscuit in America is different to a biscuit in Australia. So a biscuit in Australia is like a cookie. Oh yeah, um, not a cookie. Yeah, yeah. So, so a, biscuit. A, a biscuit in America is like a scone. Yeah. As long as I didn't offend anybody, I had a no. I had a teacher that married an Australian, and she said some words to her in-laws that 
in America do not mean the same words they mean. Oh, no, they, they, in Australia. <laughs> yeah, like uh, the fanny pack that you refer That's to. That's what as. she said. <laughs> she was really excited about her pink fanny pack that yeah. she had bought, and she told yeah. her in laws that, and they were like, you did mm. what? <laughs> A uh, very different, very different thing. A bit like a, a bit like a thong in uh, the UK and Australia are very two different, very different things. Or, or pants. Yeah, that's true as well. Pants, yeah. Pants in Australia are just trousers, but pants in Scotland, particularly, are underpants. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Lost in translation. Yeah, and that's something that it's not. You laugh because it's like we're all from different countries, but this is one thing that I. Texas is different. I go spend time with people in Colorado and it's amazing how many times I say y'all and I don't even realize it until I get around people that don't say it anymore. And our translation gets lost too, because I have, I can, I can talk a lot easier to some people in like South Dakota, Kansas area than I can talk to people in Wyoming sometimes because the words are just different. California is the same way. Welcome to my world, being a, Scot- <laughs> being a Scottish man in Australia, when nobody understands you. Yeah, that's, that's how I feel generally when I go places. Because So I sit on the, we call it a Young Entrepreneurs Steering Committee here in America and our um, National Sheep Industry Associations Committee. It is for 40 and under producers. And there are four of us, I believe, on the steering committee. And our whole goal is to reach out to younger producers and educate them, basically. And our funding comes, so we are an ASI committee, but we are also funded partly by what we call the American um, Land Board, which is a board that is set up by the federal government. And their whole goal is to teach people to eat lamb meat. Um, they're a lot more about connecting the, the consumer to the meat mm. more so than the producer necessarily. They're a great benefit for me, but I'm trying to connect to the consumer directly. Do you, so, um, as, as a local producer there and on these kind of um, you know, young entrepreneur type committees and boards, do you, do you get an opportunity to go overseas, say, to Australia or to New Zealand, to those countries that have got significant kind of sheep industry, sheep meat industries, and, and see what happens there? Is that, have you had that chance at any time? I haven't personally, but our, our association as, as part of this Young Entrepreneurs, yes. Um, here, in, even here, we have one. It's actually gone away since, since the pandemic started, but we had one here in Texas that we call, it was called TROT, the um, Texas Ranchers of Tomorrow is what it was, what it stood for. And we would just pick somewhere in Texas and go for the day. They'd feed us and we'd go two or two or three ranches. And it was kind of based off of this Young Entrepreneurs that's the National Committee. And we do the same thing on the national level. So uh, this year it lined up with our lamb summit and they were in michigan and following the summit the young entrepreneurs had a tour around the state of michigan they came to texas the year before 
we started down in Austin and we went to different ranches. We went to different, um, it just kind of depends on, on what area we're in as to what we get to do really. But we see other producers. Sometimes it's, it's not even necessarily directly tied to what we're doing. You know, they'll come down here and they will see more, some of the, um, market show side of things. And that's not a commercial producer. Um, that, that producer is selling $5,000 sheep out of their pit. Right. So okay. It's a, it's a very different market. They get to spend a lot more money than we spend. So the five, those $5,000 a head sheep are going to a, like, is that just the show market or something? Is it all? No, that's yeah, just gosh. the show market. Yeah. Gosh. And that is, that's not everywhere. Um, here in Texas, our show industry is, is unbelievable. Um, it's something that it's, it's, I, I can't even explain it, especially to people outside. I can't explain it to people here in America and explaining it across, across the ocean. I really can't. I saw, a, I saw a documentary once that was American based. It was based on those, um, the chicken, the people that show the show chickens, you know, uh-huh. all those different, and they, they look like a fairly mad crew of people. Those ones. I wonder if that's just show people that show animals have got the yeah. same kind of a, Rodeo people are the same way. (laughs) Yeah, they're all the same. And they spend, the money is different. So um, like here, our our market shows, which is what we call them, is for children from ages 8 to 18. That's who shows predominantly here. And it's, they use those kids so that mom and daddy can, can participate. And sometimes it's kind of bloody at times. So it's not always. And as somebody that used as an extension agent, that was my job was to help those kids. And so there are still kids that are in it to learn how to raise sheep and goats. But that is not what you see at the top, usually. Um, and I, I, was, I was raised in it. Um, now, ours was very much a family operation. If I couldn't go feed, it wasn't a big deal. My dad could go feed. I mean, we did it to be together Mm. and that's the way it should be. That's not always the way that it is. And that is why you have parents spending thousands of dollars on one animal Hmm. is to go win and say that they won. Get the ribbon. Yes. It's like horse. It's like horse people. It's exactly. Uh, like we're not gonna, I'm not going to make any. I'm not going to make any comments on this podcast about horse people because they'll they'll be protesting out front of my house if I say anything. You know, so I'm not going to go there, Andrew. Thanks for thanks for trying to lead me down the garden path. <laughs> no, so well, it's, it's I think all look, industries. So you have you have that in all industries. I think horse people are far crazier than anyone else. So let's be honest. Like we we can go down that route if you want, but horse people. Rabbit people. Rabbit people here are kind of crazy. Talk about those chickens. Rabbit showing. That was that was definitely an experience for me as an extension agent was dealing with rabbit showers. When they start when they when they start pulling out the hairdryer to to fluff the animals up, that's you know, you can you can see they're serious. But rabbit 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 tastes nicer. (laughs) Does, does, does. There you go. Well look, I think um I think given, given how you've outlined to us, Brady, all the extra things you're doing, I think we've probably taken up a lot of your uh, time. You've been very generous with your time to give us a bit of an insight into the, into the American sheep and goat industry, for that matter. 
Um, so we appreciate you coming on and having a chat to us. Um, next time I'm in Texas, I might try and see if I can swing past and, and get, check out the Emporium and bring home a gift for, for you, Andrew. Well, I think Sheep Producers Australia is actually funding us to go on a tour <laughs> of, of Australia. That'd be nice. Oh, do, they know, do they know they're funding us to do that yet? Well, that's why I'm just announcing it just now. <laughs> they can't go back on it now. You know, we have we have the national convention coming up, so you could. we could we could come and present to you guys about the the, the global markets, and you know we do that every all yeah. the time. We could. I happen to sit on a committee that we're looking for people to speak. So <laughs> there you go. Well, yeah. you know, go. That's, that's in Fort. Is that the one in Fort Worth? Yes. Oh, fantastic. We can go to the rodeo while we're there. And yeah. It's on, Same time. It's on the. 17th of January. I'm free that day. 18th through the 21st, I believe is what. There you go. Uh, Fort Worth. Yeah, we could go there. Yeah, if, if you want to fund us to come over and. <laughs> it's a little ways from the store. I'm not sure you'll get what? the story. I can bring you stuff to Fort Worth, but you'd have to rent a car to get to my store from there. That's easy. That's easy. Yeah. Well, we'll have to get onto Shape Producers quickly and see if we can. Shape we Producers do have Australia. an airport here. Like you can fly in and I can take you up from the airport, but you're going to have to find a, like a private plane to fly you into um, our little airport. We'll bring our own plane. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, there right. you go. Well, yep. Go, Andrew. Right. Oh, well, it's good to chat. I always like to get different insights into different sort of parts of the world. And I never really considered sheep as being a thing in Texas. I just thought mm-hmm. Texas was cattle and oil. Texas people don't consider it being a thing generally. And we have, a, we have a running joke about how there's a lot of people that go, and this has been the case since my great-great-grandfather. When the farm is in trouble, you go buy sheep. <laughs> and that's what saves you, what saves the farm. But you don't tell anybody that the sheep saved the farm. Yeah. Put them in the back, and you don't tell a soul. And she- I had a friend that she actually, she she's in the, the winery business, and her husband brought home like a thousand sheep one day and he she's like what are we doing he goes we're saving the farm <laughs> with sheep great and so it's still true today and they have they have completely turned things around and now they're in the sheep business so um it is it is a big thing that nobody talks about here and it's not something that's predominantly known so as far as my biggest challenges that has been my biggest challenge is just convincing people that it's worth a try yeah. Well, good job. I think it's yep. interesting that you got that diversified business. So thanks very much for taking the time out to, to have a chat with us. And thanks to mm-hmm. the Global Sheep Forum <laughs> Next Gen 2022 for uh, putting us together. Yeah, it's good. And look out on your uh, on the Emporium online uh, forms because you might see someone from Australia ordering some what was it chili jam or something you were looking at some of the chili the jalapeno jalapeno snacks mustard mustard marinated uh, mushrooms anything spicy i'll take do you do you send internationally or is it just around the country we have we don't have it online right now but i'm sure that i could calculate the shipping for you if you really (laughs) need to send me an email that's been our biggest problem with shipping lamb meat too it's just just the logistics of shipping and the store is no different because it is a lot of it's a lot of glass and perishables so yeah bringing product like that into australia is always problematic as well we don't want to get in trouble with the authorities no 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 no. (laughs) well thank you very much yeah no it's been excellent appreciate you coming on
uh, Brady. It's been good, enlightening discussion around it, and um, something that a lot of Australians I don't think would be aware of the uh, scope of the of the sector in uh, in the US. So appreciate you coming on. Well, thanks for having me. And um, see when you've got nothing on. Toodaloo.